if you're someone who wants to get into syndicating your own deals and you have the income or like a retirement funds like I had to invest passively, choose who you want to invest passively with. As an operator, I know other investors are romanticizing multifamily investing, and I'm looking to learn from other investors' mistakes. I know you are too, and you found the right place. Welcome to Myers Methods Presents Multifamily Missteps. Hey everybody, and welcome to Myers Methods Presents Multifamily Missteps. I'm your host, Jerome, and I've got the pleasure of having Sandia Hydri. Did I get it? Yep. Perfect. <laughs> How are you? How are things in Texas? Doing great. Uh, things are going well in Texas. I guess compared to a lot of other cities, uh, I can't complain. Dallas is doing well. More people are coming here. Yeah. The great migration from California, I hear. <laughs> so before we dive into it, if the listeners want to get in contact with you, what's the best way for them to do that? My website multifamily4you.com multifamily the number 4 y o u spelled out at gmail.com beautiful now that we've got through that won't you do me a favor and tell the listeners a little bit about you and your background and what you're working on now so i moved to dallas texas 30 years ago from india where I was raised. I came here, I went to college here. I'm an engineer, like a lot of people of my ethnicity, I would say. So got my engineering degree, got a job locally with a Fortune 500 company. They sent me back to school to get an MBA. So I have a business background as well. Did the corporate rat race for over a decade, had kids, settled down, played the stock market for a while, and eventually realized I was paying too much in taxes, wanted to diversify got into real estate, uh, skipped the single family route because I didn't want to deal with tenants and self-manage myself, went straight to multifamily, joined a mentoring program, and was able to syndicate a couple of deals and then passive in about 15 deals. Wow. Did you say 15 deals? One five, yes. Uh, It's because I used to work in the corporate world for a while and I had all that retirement money and I decided to take some of it out of the stock market and roll it over so that I could invest with that. That helped me build a lot of relationships with sponsors, but still being able to save my money for when I wanted to do my own deal. Because you can't use your retirement money in your own deal. So that was a perfect way to use that money and diversify. Wow, 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 wow. I think you've invested in more deals than any of our other guests who weren't just doing their own thing. So yeah, you cannot use your money in your own deals. That would be a prohibited transaction. That's right. So what got you interested in multifamily investing? Because that part, I don't think you got for us. The biggest thing for me was to be reasonably hands-off so that I wouldn't do the day-to-day operations. Like I can't see myself being a leasing staff member, a property managing all day long. So I needed someone to do that and to afford that by simple math, one or two single family rentals wasn't going to do the trick. So when a friend told me about getting in to multifamily, I started the passive investing route, attended a weekend seminar, uh, learned about different mentoring programs and chose one that was dominant 
in the market that I was interested in. And that was important because it got me immediately all the local connections to brokers, service providers, and of course, like-minded people. Beautiful. So have all of the deals gone as you expected them to go? Of my 15 passive deals, I would say there's two deals that I would call as say struggling in the sense that they are still betting on appreciation a few years later when they sell it, they're not cash flowing as well. But overall, the other deals, if they promised me, let's say a 10% return, they're more performing like a six to 7% return right now because of COVID in terms of cash flow. But again, this is money that I'm not counting on to use in the next few months. I always knew that real estate is for long-term, it's a hard asset. Um, it's not as liquid as stocks or you know your savings account is going to be. So I think that they will weather the storm and they will come out ahead. Now the question is, will they beat my stock portfolio? That's gonna be difficult because I did have a little bit in this lovely company called Apple. So that's gonna be hard to beat, but let's say the rest of it, the real estate is performing reasonably well for a retirement fund. Wow. So were there any lessons that you learned along the way, either as an operator, because you've done your own deals now or while being a passive? Yes, a lot of lessons learned from both ways, but more from the passive side is that you really have to vet your sponsorship team very well. And while I really liked some of the people I did business with, they didn't all have the experience to handle that type of a deal in that submarket. So they're struggling a little bit right now, but overall they will come out ahead. But it made me with every deal that I did passively, I was able to pick and choose the things I liked from those deals and what I'd like to do when I run my own property. These are the things that are important to me. So that was a great you know, way to learn the business hands-on because all the training programs give you videos, books, et cetera. But this is where the practical knowledge starts. And when you're syndicating a deal and you're getting other people's money, it's not a good idea to play around. You know, you really have to be careful and know what you're doing. So this is sort of like the internship phase, being a passive investor. You get to be there and see how it all works, but you're not really the one holding the reins and making all the decisions. So it's one of the best ways, I think, to learn the business before you're ready to sort of take the steering wheel. But one of the lessons I learned, for example, from one of my passive deals was that the market is so important and the location is so important. So just because they tell you it's within a certain mile radius or the great median household income, et cetera, crime rate is very important, right? So knowing the crime rate, making sure there's a diversity of jobs in that location is very important. So I go and ask all these questions. I almost have a checklist now. So anytime someone brings me a deal, one of the first things I ask is give me the zip code, give me the market demographics. And I try to stick now to more deals in the Dallas area because I've lived here three, you know, 30 years. So I really know my little submarkets, my streets and everything. So I'm very picky now when I pick my deals to invest in even passively. But another important thing to ask is acquisition fees. It seems to be the norm in a lot of places to have high acquisition fees because the sponsorship team works really hard to find the right deal, et cetera. And my thing is, after you've closed the deal and taken all your acquisition fees, does every member of the sponsorship team still have some skin in the game? 
So everyone says, oh yeah, I'm investing more than the minimum in this deal. Okay, but do you get it all back as acquisition fees the day that you close? So after you know 60 days, now is when the real story begins, how you execute your business plan. Do you still have any money left or is it just me leaving my money in there? So that's another good question to ask. So I have developed a long checklist for vetting a sponsor and vetting a deal that I can certainly share with any of your listeners if they visit my website and they just have to put in their email address, that's it. And unless they want to, they won't hear from me again. You know, It's not like they're signing up to get spammed forever. So it's one time they get a checklist. When they get the checklist, they'll be asked, do you want to continue to stay in my mailing list or do you want to be removed after this? And that's it. So it's super easy. Without question. So you're the first person I heard that said, hey, well, after you get your acquisition fee, will you still have money in the deal? That's right. Never heard that before. Why do you think it's important for them to have money in the deal? Well, what's the incentive for you to work hard? To make- if you don't have any money left in there, right? You're not going to work as hard on it if it's not your own money in there, right? If you're just playing with other people's money, as I call it, it's not the same. It's like the government wanting to spend your tax dollars on something, right? So I guess I'm weird, right? I think other people's money is more precious than mine. So I work harder for other people's money to make sure that I don't have to go tell them bad news than I would for myself. So that part is interesting. Very good point. But it's sort of like put your money where your mouth is. You're telling me this is a great deal. You're convincing me to put my money. Well, please put some of your own money too. That way we're both in the game. Because you know every month you're going to probably get an asset management fee. If the deal does well, you get to get more money out of it in the end. But that's great. But the next six months, what if you have five deals going on? How do I know you're just as interested in my deal where I'm invested, right? There's a lot of people who have a deal every month. How do I know you're focusing on my deal? Maybe it's the third month that my deal has a problem. But here you are acquiring this other deal and this other deal and this other deal. Right. So I kind of want to know that. I want to know who's my point of contact for asset management questions. I want to be able to visit the property, which is why I like to invest in properties within a reasonable driving distance of where I live. I'm sure there are great markets elsewhere, but this is why I like it, because I can immediately say, oh, you picked a good area. I like that location. I think you'll get your red bumps. Right. I can answer all those questions without having to think about it. But yeah, I love it. This is fresh for me. So. You're one of the few people that I've met that's been able to transition from an LP to a GP. Will you tell me a little bit about how you were able to put that process together? Because I think it is the secret sauce. It's one of the most important things uh, is to first experience firsthand what it's like to be the customer of the service, right? So if you're already a customer, like you know what it's like, how do you want people to treat you when you go to a restaurant, right? You want to be welcome, you want to be looked in the eye, you want to be seated in a nice place, you want to be served at a reasonable pace, etc. right? So it's sort of like that. As a passive investor, I'm the customer. So I really have a good feel for what I want to see in customer service, right? I want to get those reports every month. I want to know that the property is doing well, or I want to see an explanation as to how you're going to turn it around if it's not doing well, if it's not meeting those numbers. So you get to learn so much when you're on the other side of the coin, so to speak, right? If you're someone who wants to get into syndicating your own deals and you have the income or like a retirement funds like I had to invest passively, choose who you want to invest passively with. So let's say there is a famous name syndicator who's very well established and has published books, et cetera, and you want to invest with them. 
you can do one such investment at your example deal to see, okay, this is how the pros do it, okay? But then after that, in your subsequent passive investments, you wanna invest with someone who's a little bit ahead of you, but not someone who's already established their institution and who you never have a chance of partnering with, right? What are the odds that this person, this author of a book is gonna partner with you, the newbie, right? Unless you bring in a lot of capital, that's a different story. But in the typical sense, if you partner with someone who's slightly ahead of you, you get to learn from them. And as they try to grow, you can offer them your time and your foot equity, as I call it, to take some tasks off their plate and learn from that. And if the property, like I pick my properties near me, I can go visit them. So when I get these monthly reports saying, oh, they're replacing the roof, we're doing this, we're doing that, just text the sponsor and say, hey, can I come along for the ride? Can I see what you're up to? Because that's a nice way for me to learn and you grow the business that way. So it's like practical training is what I call this uh, passive investing. So then you build that bond, that relationship with that sponsor who you eventually want to partner with and you see where they do well or where they could use some help and you start offering help. It's just like, I'm here, I've got time, what can I do for you? Wow. So right? do you have multiple investments with the same sponsors? And then did you begin partnering with them because of that? Or like, how did you get them interested in having you look over the shoulder or come along for the ride? They didn't exactly reach out to me. It was more like me asking them many, many times, like, listen, I know this place. I know this area. You're both out of state. So my first partnership happened because both the partners who won this deal, they were out of state. And here I am local to the deal. And I'm like, oh, you really need me. I could be useful to you. These first few months, you don't have to make so many trips here. I'll supervise all of that. You just keep an eye on the numbers. And so every time a vendor was there, I'm there, right? LED upgrades, SAS water conservation, whatever it is, I can show up at short notice and be on site. Because I had school age kids at that time. And both once I send them off to school, you know, I have my next five, six hours available to be on site. So that's how I added value. So when you want to convince someone to partner with you, figure out how you will add value to them. That would be my biggest piece of advice. What do they need? How can you be complementing their skills in some way and adding value to them to where they're like, you're going to save me time or you're going to help me in some way that it's worth it for me to bring you in. And remember, they are the seniors, if you will, with the experience. So don't go in there arguing about, I want an equal share of every little pie and every little thing. Don't start with money in mind. It will come. Offer to help, and then the money will show up. Ooh, you stepping in the taboo bucket now. So were you able to like get experience points with the banks by signing on loans or anything when you first moved over? Like, how did that part work? I did that a while before. So as a passive investor, you can also be a key principal on a deal. So I had done that months before I syndicated my first deal. So one of the first things I did as a passive as well is uh, only in that one deal, I had to use my real money, as I call it, after-tax money, but it was to get into the Fanny Club and the Freddy Club. So I got into Fanny Club by investing my own money and being a key principal on a deal. And then when we bought our own deal, the first syndication I did, I got in the Freddy Club. So it was fine. So that's a big deal. What made you comfortable signing? Well, being part of a mentoring group, you know that everyone underwrites deals the same way. 
So the financial part of it is already okay. It's not a huge risk because not only does the mentor review the deal, but also at least one, maybe two coaches review the deal. So it's a comfort with the team, right? You want to know that your loan is not going to go into forbearance and affect your credit. That's the big one. And I think about almost two years ago when all this happened, uh, the economy was doing great. I don't think any of us even thought about those kind of things. The financial analysis made sense. It was a good market. So once you trust the team and the numbers work, I didn't think it was that much of a risk. The other big one to remember is in all of these agency loans, you know, you're only getting 75%. That particular deal was even less than 75% kind of uh, LTV. So really there should be no risk in paying the mortgage, in my opinion. So I didn't see it was a huge risk in terms of being a guarantor on a loan. Now, yes, it took a while to add that many more zeros after the number, because I'm used to, you know, dealing with single family homes, right? So, okay, you're talking 200K, 300K kind of level, and then here's a deal like uh, 11 million. Okay, <laughs> normal people go about buying $11 million apartments. That was a wow, that was like an eye opener. But beyond that, I don't think it was as much of a risk. And that deal actually is performing extremely well. It's one of my better performing deals in which I'm invested passively, but I'm also a key principal in that deal. Uh, we've been getting distributions through COVID. Wow. So if somebody is like interested in being a key principal because they want to get the experience box checked, what would you tell them to do or what would you tell them to think about or questions to ask? Is it the same as the checklist for putting money in passively or does it get a little higher scrutiny since you're putting your reputation on the line now? It's both, right? You not only want to vet the sponsorship team, you also want to make sure financially you agree with the numbers. So if you're not as experienced to analyze a deal thoroughly, definitely ask someone with experience in your network who's familiar with that particular market where this deal is located to make sure they double check that for you before you guarantee your name on a loan, right? That's a big deal. And certainly if the deal is in Dallas, feel free to send it. I'll give you my five cents, my two cents on it. If it's anything to do with Dallas or if it's a team that's somewhat based in Dallas, probably somebody I know will know those people uh, if I don't know them myself. So certainly I can help you with that in Dallas. And there's probably people like that in every major market like Atlanta or the Carolinas. Or, you know, There's probably someone you know who you can trust to at least vet the sponsor as well as the deal for you before you take that risk. But the biggest things they look for are your liquidity and net worth. And usually they call in key principles to help if the sponsorship team themselves don't have enough of that to qualify for the loan. So whatever the loan amount is, let's say the loan is for $10 million and the sponsors combined only have $7 million in net worth, then they're going to call in a couple of key principles to get it up to that $10 million. And so that's where you can come in and add value and say, okay, in return, I would really love to know how you execute this business plan, help me understand it. And I want to be involved as much as I can as you go through all the different projects to pop up your rents and meet the numbers. What's up, guys? It's your host, Jerome. I just want to let you know we launched Myers Methods in the fall of 2019 with the ambition to inspire a new breed of multifamily investors. If you are interested in getting into multifamily or scaling your current business, hop over to our website at MyersMethods.com to grab your free four-step guide on how to get the ball rolling in multifamily. Now, let's get back to the episode. This is really, really good. I love this. And so... I've got two more questions. The mm -hmm. first one is, 
how does one who needs a key principle to come in a deal with already having signed experience and so on, approach a person to say, hey, I've got a deal. Would you be interested? Because I don't think you just walk up to somebody in the first exchange and say, hey, come join my deal or will you sign on the loan for me? So I don't know if it's a protocol, but what guidance would you give to people who are interested in meeting somebody that can serve in that capacity? Well, at a minimum, right, if it's a 506B, you would follow the same rules that you would to get a passive investor, which is you have a substantive relationship, et cetera, right? Or if it's a 506C, then you may not need it. But the second part of it is, um, in general, you can start asking your investors now, well before you have a deal, hey, we will have a KP opportunity. If that's something of interest to you, let me know because we'll only have two or three such slots at the most in a deal. So if that's of interest to you, you can email your investor database right now, well before you have a deal so that you know in general who's interested in becoming a KP. And if they say that they are, then you wanna have an idea what their net worth and liquidity is because that's gonna factor into what you need for your deal. I love it. I love it. So many people are uncomfortable talking about net worth and cash or liquidity. And so I think they're uncomfortable asking the question, hey, like, what can you actually do or what can you sign for? Do you have any guidance around that type of stuff? Yeah, just put it on the lender. My lender requires this, my lender requires that. So you know what? My lender requires us to send this personal financial statement and schedule of real estate owned before we can even start applying for a loan. So if you have interest in being a key principal, please get those documents together and we'll be forwarding that to the lender. But here's something we need to know. And then you say, my next deal is probably for a mortgage of $10 million. And me and my two partners together have $7 million. So we're going to be adding key principles to get to that $10 million. So I'm going to need that information if you want to be a key principal. And right there, you've also told them what your net worth sort of is, right, as an example. So they have an idea. They're more comfortable. And so we will have to provide all of this information, just like if you were buying a home, you give them all your net worth kind of information there, right, for the mortgage. It's the same thing, except this is a huge loan. So if you want to be a guarantor on a loan with someone, it's just like you and your spouse signing on a loan. You're going to know everything about them. That's just the way it is. And if you're not comfortable, then don't do it. Because uh, real estate syndications are like a marriage. You're stuck with that person for a while through the life of the project, typically three to five years, maybe longer. So if you're not ready to get a little comfortable like that and get a little close, then just stay passive. Keep that distance. That's beautiful. Thank you so much. This was an awesome interview. The final question, mm-hmm. what words of wisdom do you have for the listeners? You can go anywhere with this one. No matter what the obstacles might seem, there is always a way. The straight path that someone else has followed might not fit you. You've got to carve your own path. So if one way doesn't work, talk to others. There's probably another way. And you will create your own path depending on how badly you want it. Yes. Thank you so much for coming on Multifamily Missteps. I look forward to talking to you some more soon. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me on your show. It's such an honor. I really appreciate you, Gerald. Right. You made it to this juncture. So you really love what we shared on this episode of Myers Methods Presents Multifamily Missteps. Do us a favor. Give us a five-star rating. Give us a review and share this with somebody who's interested in multifamily investing. 
Until the next time, the pack is with you.